Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 261 of Sexology Podcast. Before I get into the conversation today, I have a question for you. Do you know what kind of a lover are you? Do you know what are your, some of your strengths and weaknesses in the bedroom? Everyone has their own unique style of sensuality and sexual personality, but most people would benefit from some science-based tips for improving their bedroom skills. So if you are curious, you can take our quiz. It's absolutely free and it gives you some information about what some of the areas that you're already excelling and some of the areas that you can improve on. The link for that quiz will be in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk about sex and grief. I know right now around the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, all of these celebrations and these holidays can be very difficult for people who have experienced the death of a loved ones. In a recent survey that we did of our listeners, it was very interesting for me to see that few of you guys identified as widow or widowers and I thought it would be important to create an episode specifically to address some of the challenges that people have after losing a loved ones because memories especially during holiday may serve as a constant reminders of loss and in this episode we're going to talk about some of the impact of grieving on our sexual health. I'm delighted to welcome Christina St. Germain in this episode we're going to talk about how Christina became interested in this work. She had her own tragic passing of her husband very young. We're going to talk about some of the myths and misconceptions around this topic. And we're going to talk about how we can welcome back pleasure in our bedrooms. Christina is a master certified life coach, grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom podcast. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Christina's life was completely and unexpectedly flipped upside down. After therapy helped her unfurl from the fetal position, Christina discovered life coaching, post-traumatic growth, and learned the tools she needed to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now she coaches and teaches other widows so they too can love life again. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Christina St. Germain. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It's my honor to welcome Krista St. Germain on our show. Krista, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited about this conversation. I know around holiday season, lots of people, the issues around grief, the pain around the losses are very present for people. So I think it's important yes. that to have this conversation. I wanted to know, how did you get interested in this topic? Yeah, I can tell you, I never really imagined I would be interested in it until my husband died. That's kind of what started it all, right? I was just kind of living my life. I was 
happily married and had just turned 40. And he and I were returning home from a trip that we had taken and we'd both driven our cars separately. And I had a flat tire in my car. And so I pulled over on the side of the highway and he got out of his car and and was trying to change the tire on my car and a driver who had meth and alcohol in his system did not brake, did not stop, just ran right into the back of Hugo's car and trapped him in between his car and my car. And in less than a day, he was gone, right? It just happened so, so fast. So, so therapy was really helpful to me in the very early days. But later when I got to that, what I call kind of a grief plateau where I was functioning and everyone else thought I was doing great, but I was still feeling hollow and very robotic. I discovered life coaching and it was just transformational for me. And sometimes what happens when you have a loss of that magnitude is that you really start questioning whether you're doing what you want to do with your life. And I didn't really believe that I was, I didn't hate my job. My husband and I worked for the same company actually, but I didn't have a passion for it. And so I started really feeling, you know, powerful transformation with the things that I was learning and decided that that's what I wanted to go into. So I started studying to become a coach and just reading everything I could get my hands on about grief and, you know, doing my own work and then eventually ended up as a life coach for widows. So that's what I do. Yeah. What a beautiful way to create meaning from the tragedy. And, you know, that like 40 is not an age that you think you will lose your partner. Of course, that I feel like we all have this image in our our mind that nothing is permanent. But when when we are facing a tragedy like that, it's it's reawakened us onto how fragile life is. Exactly. Exactly. And even when I had decided to become a coach, to be honest with you, I didn't think I was going to work with grief because I thought it would be too heavy. But the more work that I did on myself, the more I realized it was really the only thing that I wanted to work with. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Well, tell me when we talk about grief, grieving can come in all forms and shapes. So tell us, how do you define it? I define grief. I like to think about it as, first of all, a natural response to loss, but I like to think about it in terms of the thoughts, the feelings, and the behaviors, right? We have a physical response, we have an emotional response, and then we have behaviors. So it's really all of those things. And I think that it's important to know for many people, I know we have a few of our listeners that they are, they lost their partner and know that sometimes people feel that when they lose a partner, if they are building a life afterward, they're leaving them behind. But I would imagine your work is really helping people to recover from the pain of grief. And I love it that you broke it down to three different layers. So we're clear about the task. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're right. That is often what's in the way of them moving forward and, and figuring out how to love life again is the guilt that they feel because of the story in their mind that, you know, moving forward or specifically, you know, we can get into it. Having sex, having another relationship means something about the person or their relationship with the person. Since you work with so many people that they're struggling with grief and you have your own podcast. So what does, uh, what are some of the myths that you hear about sex and grief? Yeah, so many. So I think part of the myths around sex and grief just kind of stem from all the myths we have around grief. And then they kind of bleed into sex, right? So there's just myth about time and grief and how much time has to pass in order for grief to be gone better, right? Which we know is not true at all. There are no timelines associated with grief, but people will tell themselves as it relates to sex that, you know, they're supposed to wait a certain amount of time 
Or if it has been a certain amount of time and they still aren't in another relationship, then that means something, right? Also, different people have different responses. Some people's sex drive after grief or in grief just, you know, raises, right? It's like jet engine. And then for some people, it, the exact opposite happens. And so we have a lot of stories about what that means, right? That, that it means something bad about me. Either way, it's like kind of we put ourselves in these no-win kinds of positions. There are a lot of myths about what it means to actually have sex after grief. So some people believe that it means that, you know, they're really just trying to avoid their grief. There couldn't possibly be any other reason that they would want sex, right? But that they're trying to avoid their grief. Some people believe that you don't really know what you want after someone has died or after you've experienced a loss and that, you know, you can't trust your desire because what you really want is just physical contact as opposed to, you know, sex. Yes. Yeah, so there's, I've got a long list. <laughs> I love myths. that. So look, yeah. uh, there are a few things that came to my mind. I want to hear more of those myths. Mm -hmm. It's my experience, as you said, like people call differently and sex can be a coping strategy for some people mm -hmm. to find that they, uh, the way that they are connecting with life or sometimes when we are kind of, when we are in that kind of place of pain, it's a way for us to get temporary relief even at times. And you're mm -hmm. right. Sometimes people think about, okay, if the, if this hasn't been three months, then perhaps like you didn't care about the person or you're avoiding your grief or you're numbing it or this right. is acting out behaviors so tell me what do you say to people that kind of want to lean into pleasure after grief and they are ambivalent about it I would say I don't often find people who are ambivalent about it as much as they are judging themselves for it or worried about what it means Right. And so if that's the case, then we can just look at the judgment and the worry. Right. So what are you making it mean that you want to have sex? And is that actually true? Right. That you didn't love them enough or that there's something wrong with you or whatever the story is. And then what's the worry that you have about having sex? Are you worried you're going to judge yourself later? Are you worried other people are going to judge you? Are you worried that you're going to cry and then, you know, later regret it? Or, you know, there's going to be some sort of emotional outburst. And some, because sometimes it can be a very nebulous worry. And when we break it down into specifics, then we can get some leverage over it. Love that. So uh, like if someone is kind of like they have the fear of maybe they're not ready, they experience desire, but they are worried about, oh God, if I'm having this, like I'm attracted to this person, if I have casual yeah. sex, what if I break down in the middle of the sex? And that yeah. would be a barrier. Yeah. And then we think about then, okay, well, what if I like to go, <laughs> this may not be everyone's you know favorite path, but I like to go all the way to the worst case scenario in terms of what's the thing you're really worried about? What would happen. And let's say that it happens. So let's say that you do start to have sex and you do, you know, cry or break down or change your mind because it seems like that in and of itself is the boogeyman, right? It seems like that's going to be the bad thing. That's going to cause us to feel shame or regret or, you know, whatever it is that we don't want to feel. But really, even in that moment, we still have agency over how we choose to support ourselves and think about ourselves, right? We don't have to beat ourselves up for having done that. We can be very kind to ourselves, you know, even if we later decide that that wasn't the decision that we wanted to make. There's still, we don't have to feel shame. We don't have to, to beat ourselves up. We don't have to make it mean the heavy things that it seems like it has to mean. Right, right. And I love that thinking about, okay, what if, right? The worst case scenario, I'm, I'm crying and 
And we all are human and we have our emotions and what horrible, there's nothing horrible about that, right? Like you had a beautiful relationship and it's no no longer here. So I think it would be very, uh, I think you're right. that the thought of it can be more scarier than the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that was one of my big worries too, is that I would cry. And so when I had sex after Hugo died, I told my partner, I said, Hey, I'm probably going to cry, you know, because I kind of knew that I would. And, and that was that way I was prepared for it. He was prepared for it. And it really wasn't that big of a deal. Beautiful. And I love that you, you were even outing your fear, right? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes the fear Mm -hmm. is in our mind, it's scarier, but when you're sharing it with someone that you care or someone that you're your, that you're your partner, that becomes significantly less anxiety provoking. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what, in what ways do you feel or you heard from your clients that grief impact people's sexual health? You know, it just seems to be so different for, for each person. And so I really hate to generalize. And that's, that's kind of one of the things that I really wish we didn't do so much with grief as a whole, because people do like things to be, you know, compartmentalized. They like them things to fit in, in little boxes with nice labels and they like linear progression and they like predictability, right? And, and so I, I get that humans want that, but, but grief, it's really not like that. So whether it's grief in general, or it's, you know, sex in grief and, and libido in grief, it's just not predictable for some people. They don't want anything to do with sex, right? It does. It's it, they completely lose the desire for me. That, that was the case for me. I didn't want anything to do with it. It seemed like work and eh, just no, right. So many other things on my brain that I, that I cared about and there was no physical drive there at all. And then when I thought about it, just ugh, seemed like a hassle, but then for other people, and it sometimes depends on, you know, what their prior experience was too. their, their sex drive just goes off the charts. Sometimes what I have seen in, especially with women who maybe have only had one long-term relationship and they were with that person for a long, long time, when their sex drive, if it does go, you know, get higher then you know, it, it's an experience that they've perhaps never allowed themselves to have before to have multiple partners and to experiment with that part of their, you know, their life. And, um, you know, but then other people don't want it at all. So it's just different for different people. But so I personally, my thought about it is it's not right, wrong. It's just different. And what makes it so challenging isn't actually what's physically and emotionally happening with us as much as it is our judgment of what's physically and emotionally happening with us, right? Absolutely. And I I agree with you that everyone's experiences are different depending on kind of a loss. Some people have the kind of like their partner is struggling with long-term diseases and their passing would be different for some people are unexpected. So our, our individual experiences are different. Therefore, our responses are different. Right. And right. when it comes to grieving, sometimes people think about, you said like, oh, three months, if it's not done with, then there's something wrong with me. Well, it's a natural response when you love someone when you, or something, even if they're not around or the thing is not around you, if you really love the person, you, you will experience grief. Doesn't mean like grief needs to be a certain brand of grief, right? People right. experience grief differently, but that is such a common human response when very grieving things. Yes. Uh, sometimes people, it's my experience that their sexual health kind of challenges goes unnoticed that they've perhaps yes. after their last partner, like they, they, they lose their partner and then they start experiencing painful sex. They have erectile functioning issues and they think those things are normal and part of grief. It could be, 
but it could be partly connected to the stories, as you said, that you're telling mm-hmm. yourself that yeah. gets in the way of you experiencing pleasure. I know that at least for some of the couples I work with, that they struggle with terminal illnesses. And mm-hmm. I know that one of the partner before they go, they told mm-hmm. their partner completely okay for them to move on. Because sometimes we feel this guilt of, I left my partner behind and I'm experiencing pleasure and that is not fair. Mm-hmm. I, and I wish, and I've had so many conversations like that too, where women, you know, did have a partner that told them that. And even then still most often they find it difficult to do, and they will still put that guilt on themselves oftentimes. Right. Or it's, it, it can sometimes be just the, the worry about what others will think because everyone seems to have an opinion about how we handle our grief. And so maybe we're okay with the decisions that we're making, but there are people in our lives who are expressing that they are not okay with the decisions that we're making. And that's also an issue that we have to work through too. Where are some of the places, if if someone loses their partner, that in the community, what are some of the places that they can find a new partner? I can imagine that can be very exhausting because all people want to talk about is the loss. Mm -hmm. I mean, it comes from the place of support, but I wonder that if where where people can go if they are experiencing high desire, and Mm -hmm. uh, they want to lean into pleasure. Well, I mean, to me, I think the internet is is boundless in its its search functionality, right? You can find almost anything on the internet. And although I don't have personal experience with a whole lot of, of online apps, you know, I'm pretty certain you can find what you want on an app if you really want it badly enough, right? I do see a lot of, if you'll go into a widow and a widower groups online, sometimes you'll find that very often the disclaimer at the top is this is not a dating site, right? Because people are trying to clearly delineate, hey, we're here to talk about our grief. We're not here to make connections. So, so don't look there, right? But there are other groups that are not like that. I think you can find almost anything you want online. And I think maybe that could be a place that can help people even if they are want to experience sex and they, they're not kind of like interested in engaging with people they know yet because they don't yes. want to have those conversation of focus around grief. It's not like they don't care about their partner, but they rather to have a mental break. I think yeah. maybe- Or they don't want the place. judgment, you know? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen often where people will, they will, want the connection, but yes, they don't really want it to be a long-term connection, right? They just want the short-term experience. And then also they don't want the judgment from other people in their world. So they will, you know, make it somewhere out of town or something that keeps those worlds separate for them. Right. Right. And I think it's an honor. It's important to honor your physical need when it comes up like the same way that's advisable. If you're hungry, you have to eat. So I feel if you want to experience pleasure, there's nothing wrong with that. Sex is a natural part of life. And there's no reason for you if you want to not engage in it. Yes. And if you're like me and it just seemed like a big hassle to you and you didn't really want another person involved, you don't need another person to be involved. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think, I think people forget that. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with widows over, over the years of doing this. And it really, sometimes people are like, oh yeah, I actually, I don't need a partner and I could still have pleasure. And they just forget. Yes. Yes. There is a world of sex tech Mm -hmm. (laughs) that can help you to feel all sorts of wonderful pleasure. And like, you don't need to necessarily engage with someone else if you don't want to. And we sometimes hear this horrible term widow. Tell us, where does that coming from? I'm not a fan. Some people like this fan and find it very empowering. So 
I guess it really just depends on the individual user. And I don't know where it came from, but I often hear women using it when they do have a higher sex drive than perhaps they had before, or they're having more sex than maybe they think they should be having or were having. And they will refer to it as I'm going through my widow stage, meaning that, you know, I'm, I have more partners than I had before. And uh, I'm just not a big fan of it. You know, I think if it, if you do feel empowered when you use it, okay, but it, it almost seems like a way of tearing ourselves down and judging ourselves over something that really it doesn't require any judgment, right? It's not a, it's not a matter of right or wrong. And so to put a label on it, that's kind of insulting, I just think is unnecessary. If you want to have sex, have sex, but you don't need to call yourself a hoe. I love that. And I think kind of thinking about like, I, I see that some people use it as a reclaiming tool of kind of like mm -hmm. using it as a fame, but okay. Like, you know, like how people sometimes use sluts as an empowering mm -hmm. thing. And it has, I can see that it can has kind of like a negative connotation as well because of all the judgment that comes right. with experiencing desire after the loss. Exactly. Well, tell us, so if someone is like few years past the past kind of like the loss and they feel mm -hmm. they are slowly want to lean into pleasure again. So you, we talked about maybe kind of exploring yourself, your body, things mm -hmm. that doesn't require other, other people's involvement, but what are some other ways that people can invite pleasure period, like inside and outside the bedroom after the loss. Yeah. So if it's, so I love that you said inside and outside the bedroom, because I think there are so many places that we can get pleasure from or give pleasure to ourselves that we don't really even ever think about intentionally. Right. So, but I do think it'll be different for everyone. So for some people, for instance, candles are full of pleasure, right? Sending yourself flowers can give you lots of pleasure. Walks in nature can give yourself lots of, lots of pleasure. Like what is it that lights you up and makes you feel alive, gives you pleasure and do that thing, right? And don't underestimate the value of doing that because a lot of us don't really spend any time thinking about Am I getting the pleasure that I want in my life? Or is it just kind of a, you know, something I never really give any thought to? So I think it can come from anywhere. The, the opportunities are really many. Absolutely. And I think it's important to think about what stories I'm telling myself about pleasure. What would mm -hmm. be the meaning of me seeking pleasure? That like going mm -hmm. back to that misconception that if you are experiencing pleasure, you're leaving your loved one behind. Or what would that mean about you as a person? And I think that's really important to keep in mind and there are a group of people that they're out there and they were in a monogamous relationship for such a long time and then when they did lose their partner it can be disorienting because the sex life and dating scene has changed a lot mm -hmm. yes how do you recommend people to navigate that <laughs> with yeah with courage and a sense of humor because it is so different right i have so many clients that have never been in the online dating world for sure and so that's completely new i do think though sometimes we make it harder on ourselves because you know when it is new then oftentimes we'll get this story around how awful it's going to be as opposed to trying to see potentially how much fun it could be right? Yes. Maybe there are some parts that you won't end up loving, but can you, can you have some fun with it? Can you just not, not take it so seriously? I do a lot of work with people too, on making sure that when they are interested in a relationship, it is, be, it is for reasons that they like, right? It's not coming from a lack. It's not coming from a perceived hole or some inadequacy that, that they feel like the relationship will solve for them. So if we can do that work first 
and they know that, you know, they can, they can take it or leave it. It's, it's a fun thing. If they want it, it can be about giving, it can be about fun. It can be about adventure, but it doesn't have to be, you know, if I don't have a relationship, I'm doomed. I will never be happy. My life is, you know, in the tank and they, they could, they can see themselves being happy either way. When we can lay that foundation, then going in, whether it's a new app that you've never used or being set up on a blind date or, you know, whatever the mechanism is, we're just not putting so much emotional weight on the whole experience that I find it gets a lot lighter. Well, something that also it's important to keep in mind, you're right, that these days online dating is the easiest way that people find new partners. Mm-hmm. But something that's important to keep in mind that it's my experience hearing from lots of clients that are smart, capable, that it's common for relationship, like the conversation to fizzle out, people ghost, mm-hmm. all of those things are not personal. Like it's, I, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes online dating world is so shitty that mm-hmm. they, I have to validate my client. The honey is not about you. I have you. this conversation every hour that yeah. because of nature of it, people think there are plenty of fish in the sea so they can lose interest quickly. Or maybe people, they at times they don't treat each other like with, with dignity and integrity mm-hmm. and all of mm-hmm. that. It, I don't say that it's not going to work. I have plenty of my clients that they found meaningful, loving experiences in online dating world. And also they, if they were interested and hook up, they found fantastic sexual mm-hmm. partners. But it's important to know that if you're not seeing success or someone is reacting negatively to you, it's not about often you. It's about it's the culture about of you. the online dating. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can think about every no taking closer you taking you closer to a yes right? And it's kind of in a way, a numbers game. You're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of ghosts. You're going to have a lot of creeps. You're going to have a lot of, you know, rudeness, but that's just part of the process. Then it becomes not such a big deal when you get them. And the other thing that's really, really important is I know many people that they've been in a monogamous relationship, they haven't, they don't think about protection or SDI testing in the yes. same way. And You're it's so, so right. important that to, to make sure we're having our own back. Sex is great, yes. but we no longer are with the kind of monogamous partner that we had. So <laughs> if you're having sexual experiences now, it's so important to ask and customary about the test result. I often, often tell clients about, ask the partner about SDI testing results. You can, you can start with sharing that this is my result and can you share me mm-hmm. about your result? And there's nothing wrong with that because I've seen few of my clients that are loving, wonderful people. They uh, unfortunately contract SDIs and that caused some challenges for them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And often what I see holds people back is that they will tell themselves and genuinely believe, I don't know how to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I always try to, to offer is that it's really not a matter usually of us not knowing how it's that we don't want to feel the uncomfortable emotion. We think we're going to have to feel to have that conversation, but we really are the only ones who can advocate for our own health. So, you know, can we be willing to, if we're feeling awkward, can we just be willing to let it be awkward and have the conversation and eventually it won't be awkward anymore? Absolutely. And I think it can be reassuring if I, if someone that like I'm having sex with, they're offering the test result with me to me and it tells me the information from the receiver side that 
this person cares about protection. And that mm-hmm. makes me feel much more comfortable. And it helps right. you to explore your sexuality with more freedom. Because I know some people sometimes think about, okay, if I if there's an issue, I can see it. And that's so not true. And it's important yeah. to make sure that you're protecting yourself so you will continue to have wonderful experiences. And on mm-hmm. the other side, if you got an SDI, it doesn't mean you're dirty. There's something wrong with you. It's a condition that requires your attention. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And if the other person really isn't interested in abiding by whatever safety precautions you decide are, you know, the ones that are important to you, then I think that's a good opportunity to decide maybe this isn't the person I want to spend my time with. Absolutely. And it tells you a lot about boundaries because sometimes mm-hmm. I know at least with my female clients, they get worried about their boundaries. And if the person's respect, love their boundaries. If you're telling them like sharing your boundary with them and they're not responsive, great. So maybe they're not the people that you want to have sex with. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's nice to see the red flags. Absolutely. So you can that make can decisions be, based yeah. on that. Yeah. 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 I was so excited. I caught you off. <laughs> like Krista, I, I bet that there are people in our listeners and they want to know more about your services, services that you offer, and also the information that you put out there. So if they, if my listeners are interested, where can they find you? Sure. Well, the widowed mom podcast is the name of my podcast and, and it's really, you know, for widows, but if people are interested in learning more about grief or post-traumatic growth, or they want to know how to support someone who's had a loss, you know, there's a lot of good information there. And then the best place to connect with me is, is my website, which is coachingwithkrista.com. And that has all of my social connections too. Beautiful. So the information will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for doing this work. It's wonderful that you're giving back to the community in multiple ways. And I bet it's very rewarding. There's nothing I would rather do. Have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful and useful. And I hope that if you are experiencing grief, you are giving yourself time and opportunity to work through some of these difficult emotions. In my experience, grief is like an ocean. I work with lots of clients during grieving process. And it's not like you're going to forget the loved one, but you can recover from this pain. So I hope that you allow yourself to experience recovery and welcome back sexual pleasure in your life. Before we close our episode today, I have a favor to ask you. So if you've been listening to this show, if you find the content meaningful, it means the world to me. If you take a minute and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this show, I read every single one of the reviews that you guys are leaving. And it, first of all, very encouraged. It's very encouraging for me. But more importantly, it helps us to get a greater visibility and we will be able to spread the message of sex positivity to more people. And I will be forever grateful to you. Anyhow, this was our conversation today and I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.